Hello everybody, this is Curtis from Tremble letting you know that we are brought to you by Shudder. Shudder is the horror movie streaming service that brings you all the latest and greatest that horror has to offer. But you don't have to take my word for it. You can use TremblePod, that's T-R-E-M-B-L-E-P-O-D, when you sign up for an account. This will give you a free 30-day trial on us, so you can check it out for yourself. With that said, let's get on with this week's episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Trumbull, the horror movie podcast. I'm your host, Curtis. With me, as always, is Stephen Taylor. How are you two doing? Pretty good. Yeah, doing okay. It's it's a, it's been a Clive Barker weekend. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah, we just uh, if we could do a triple feature, we could do Candyman as well. But or uh, or uh, or well, Lord of Illusions, because then he's directing as well. Did he? He didn't direct the second Hellraiser, did he? No, uh, he might have actually. Uh, it's funny because I had just been watching the In Search of Darkness, and they do cover in the first movie. They do cover both uh, Hellbound and, and Hellraiser. Um, but yeah, I did he direct the second one? Uh, no, Tony Randall did. I feel like he must have produced it though, because it definitely feels like Hellbound yes. ties into Hellraiser in a way that no other Hellraiser sequel does. Like, no, it's direct. Is yeah. it? It's absolutely a direct sequel. It's almost like Halloween one and two, where like they were totally. just like directly following uh, each thing. Even though like there is such like a, a skew to Hellbound. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, you're recycling the same villain because uh, controversially, uh, Pinhead, I don't think is a villain. No, at least not in the first know. movie. No, no. But, hey, we're talking He's a consequence. About, <laughs> we're talking about a, a Clive Barker movie that I think will elicit some strong reactions. Maybe negative, maybe positive. It's a tough one to call. Uh, but we're talking about Nightbreed first. <laughs> then we're going to talk about Hellraiser, which Hellraiser I'm sure. very uni- universally like positive on. But Nightbreed's a really weird movie. Some might even say <laughs> the Snyder Cut of its day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, like the Snyder Cut and many other movies, yeah, studio put out a, a version of the film that was pretty universally panned. And then mm-hmm. they came out with the director's cut, which is... I think nowadays the only version you can find is the director's cut. Like I know on Shutter where I watched it, it was the director's cut. And yeah, since the... 2014. Yeah, so it's it's gonna be pretty hard for you to find the theatrical version. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, well, well, I've seen both, and like it, the theatrical cut is complete nonsensical. Like it, it's a mess. It is, and so this is actually my first time watching the director's cut. I've I've only ever seen the theatrical cut. And I remember Mm -hmm. when I saw this on here, I'm like, what the fuck are we watching this mess of a movie? But (laughs) in watching it, I'm like, okay, they cleaned it up. So Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. interesting that Nightbreed kind of has a bit of a storied history. I think, like, even, like, there was a a website uh, that was, like, fully dedicated to, like, bringing the Nightbreed director's cut to fruition. Like, obviously they were successful, but like, yeah, it's interesting in these like fans taking, taking the studio to task where we see that now all the time. Nightbreed is one of the few early examples of it. So yeah. Oh man. If only we had the Sonic fandom back then when this movie first came out, (laughs) everything changed immediately. Immediately. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) It's so weird to think that like, yeah, 
because I remember when this movie came out, it was just like, you watch it, you're like, this movie is a little, little off, but yeah. Um, the official summary of Nightbreed is, uh, Aaron Boone is haunted by terrifying nightmares of a city of monsters. He goes to see a psychiatrist, Dr. Decker for help, but what Boone doesn't know is that Decker is really a serial killer. Decker frames Boone to take the fall for his murders and Boone is killed by the police, but Boone is brought back to life by the monsters of his dreams, the Nightbreed, who in turn join Boone in his quest to stop Decker from killing again. And uh, yeah, that's that's Nightbreed. <laughs> so sounds like a lot in reading it, and then I realize it is kind of a lot going on in this movie. And I think my major issue with this is that the Decker storyline and the Nightbreed storyline, off even in this new version, don't quite gel together in the way that it probably could or should. It's but. strange. It is such a strange paralleling of storylines because yeah. yeah, they don't really meet up. They seem like two separate films. Totally. Yeah. They- do and like all it would have taken is like a scene where maybe decker is like oh my wife left me for the night breed or something like that like <laughs> what like just something to link it together but no nothing like that like it's i think that's one of the maybe it, it's kind of like my opinions about this versus hellraiser are going to be interesting because they almost felt a little opposite in a way to me in that Nightbreed has so many characters and so many different plot lines and so much going on and Mm -hmm. hellraiser kind of feels like a little bit of the opposite to me where there's a more limited cast of characters the plot is way easier to understand it's basically just one plot right like whereas this one has so much going on i definitely do not recommend watching this uh without paying full attention because you will you'll like look away for one minute and look back and not and realize you don't understand why these characters are in this new location. <laughs> totally. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. It's, and I, I will say like commendations to like the people who put this together for the new director's cut. Cause it, it, it for me has gone from a movie that didn't make any sense to a movie that makes some sense. Mm-hmm. But I think the trade off to that is now you get a lot more filler that doesn't always feel necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, this is an interesting movie because, like, I think there's a version of this movie that would be, like, just kill. Like, even, like, as, like, a a movie for, like, maybe not, like, young audiences, maybe more, like, teenagers or something like that. Like, this would have been amazing, like, at a certain age. But, like, I think it's just, it it feels, like Steve has said, like, like two movies rolled into one. Even now with, like, the new cut of the movie. Um, I, I, it, it, it will largely what it is, uh, is it's Clive Barker exploring spirituality, mm, like yeah. at its heart. But yeah, as Taylor said, there's just so many characters, so many ideas. It, this movie is like overly ambitious, yeah. and obviously the studio at the time did not see what he was trying to go for and just cut the shit out of it, and to the point that it didn't make any sense. But then when you watch the new one. The, this new cut, like some of his ideas do get full realization, but there is like six or seven pieces of it that still don't get that full, that yeah. full rounded uh, char- uh, arc to it. Well, and I think if maybe like there was a, if this got realized closer to the time that it came out, you could do like reshoots and stuff at this point though, mm-hmm. that, that's impossible to do. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Steve, when was the first time you watched this movie? Uh, I 
think I probably would have checked it out in the mid '90s, mid to late '90s, because um, I, I had already done my whole like Stephen King like read through, moved on to Dean Koontz, Peter Straub, all that kind of stuff, and then I started moving into to Clive Barker and uh read that you know the hell the the hellbound heart uh and and cabal mm -hmm. uh which is what this book was based on uh which i i'm reading i read later was kind of ghost written by mark frost one of the creators of twin peaks as well oh. um and it, it has like the the book is is pretty awesome like i yeah. i really love clive barker's writing and his world building and stuff and honestly as a filmmaker i really feel like he transitioned well and it's something that i'll get into way more when we're talking about hellraiser but mm. uh night nightbreed looks phenomenal like it, they just the, what they did that the how he spent the money on it i mean when they're going through midian and kind of showing all the creatures it is like a treasure trove of cool special effects totally and i i, I mean and he also brings an odd sort of humanity to you all the kills in this one too like uh, all the people that the deckers killing killing like even uh the the saddest one for me is when he uh he kills basically the the nightbreed's historian yeah um that's so tragic yeah uh, i felt i i felt it more this time than when i originally initially watched it uh the initial film in 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 the 90s and and the the remake when it came out and shout uh on shout blu-ray um I just I felt differently about this. I felt I felt more the emotion this time around. Mm -hmm. uh, and man, do I miss Craig Sheffer? Craig Sheffer was great in the eighties and nineties. He is just he yeah. just oozes the era. Uh, oh, totally. and, and and Cronenberg is how is just having gleeful fun. And he wrote Naked <laughs> Lunch during this movie. Oh really? Like, he, That's... Yeah, he wrote the screenplay for Naked Lunch on the off time when he wasn't on screen making this movie. Uh, and also uh, I really like the, and I don't know where she's from, but I really like the kind of a French girl um, waif quality to add to Anne Bobby in this one. She kind of reminds me of uh, Bruce Willis's girlfriend in uh, Pulp Fiction. Oh yeah. She's got that wide eyed, like precociousness to her that I think what works so well with the character. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, yeah, first time I watched this. Oh my gosh, it was uh, back in the day of renting Blu-rays. You go or renting VHS. Sorry, not Blu-rays. Um, I remember. Yeah, I went to the store and just saw it on the shelf. And uh, I think now they make way cooler posters for this movie. But uh, the VHS cover was just, the group shot. It's just, yeah, it's just a group shot. It's just in like big old yellow text. Just says Nightbreed and. Uh, I just remember things like this movie looks so fucking cool. And um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, picked it up on that. And then uh, even when I went to take it up, they're like, oh, you, you like slasher movies. This is like a slasher movie. I'm like, oh, cool. Even better. And then you realize it's not a slasher movie at all. Like it. And I think that's maybe why the movie failed so hard is that the studio marketed it as a slasher movie and not. It's a 20% slasher. It is. <laughs> it's like barely a slasher, and uh, yeah, it's it, it. Watching it, and even back then, like it didn't make any sense. This movie, and um, as I was watching it, I just remember being like, "Man, I just I don't like this movie." Like, I appreciate even at the time, like the creature designs, because I mean, 
uh, all of the night breed are really well designed. Like there's mm-hmm. no real slouch in that department. I don't think like they're all very well done, very well um, done. That's all like practical makeup effects too. So, well, it, and watching Narcissi uh, tear his skin off in the like the first twenty minutes of the movie, like that's gonna fuck somebody up. Oh yeah, yeah. I. I my parents uh, definitely would not uh, <laughs> approve if they actually knew what I was watching. It was one of those things I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to watch uh, Tarzan again. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I'm watch Nightbreed instead. Um, so, yeah. And then I hadn't watched it since then. So, again, when, you, when it was suggested to watch this, I was like, I don't know. That's that a stupid movie with the monsters and it doesn't make any sense. And, <laughs> but... I, in watching it, it seemed different. So I was, as I was mid watching it, I did some googling and found out that yeah, there was like the director's cut, and it's like, you know, cleaned up over its last iteration. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing I do like the most about this is the design of the button face killer. Like yes. I just like that design. It's it's creepy. It's cool. I think a lot of slasher movies fail, especially nowadays in the modern area and the design of their killers. Uh, that's something that in the eighties and like early nineties, they did so well of mm-hmm. just having like cool designs for their, uh, killers. This one, I mean, button face is up there for sure. It's just a shame that like, yeah, like this movie's like 20% slasher and like nothing ever came from this. We didn't get a sequel and we didn't get more button face or anything like that. So we got a comic series. I read the whole comic series. Oh, really? I yeah. didn't realize that. And it descends deeper into like the Midian stuff and and the lore and everything. I thought it was quite good because I I believe that it came from a script that Clive Barker wrote as well. So it's just okay. Uh, Boom Studios put it out. I highly recommend it if you if people out there are into Nightbreed and want more. Um, I I recommend it because it's probably in a trade paperback by now. Yeah. It it almost really seems like they could have split up the two separate storylines kind of into two movies more so Mm -hmm. like they could have had the first one be about the button face and dr decker and kind of dealing with him and then then you go into the second one where you wrap the story up and get more into the actual nightbreed stuff and kind of then you have the natural ending i feel like that might have just made it a little less messy and and kind of filled out filled out things like you would have got a full movie maybe an actual slasher of the, the button-faced Dr. Decker killer, you know? And I think that would have been so much fun because uh, his character was so crazy. Uh, but they tried to, like, jam it all into one. And maybe that's just because it, it worked that way in the novella. I haven't actually read the novella. The uh, mm. uh, Cabal is what it is, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, I really want to because I feel like... I feel like, for the most part, I tend to prefer Clive Barker in writing as opposed to uh, his movies. But that's just maybe because... Uh, my imagination is crazy sometimes. <laughs> He's a fascinating writer. Um, I love his writing. Because all of his writing feels like like scripted lore. You know what I mean? Like there is just such a there's such a, a history and a rich feeling to, to, to all of his writing and, and he started like that like um, uh, Gal- what was the Galilee or something like that? Like that's yeah. an inc- just an incredible book that yeah. that is like almost like he's Herman Melville of his time, like, like writing his own Moby Dick. Like it's, it's, it's crazy. I, I, I think that he is, he never gets brought up as much as he should be when it comes to masters of horror. Yeah. 
well, one thing I like about uh, Clive Barker too is like in, in a way like his movies feel like very condensed versions of his books, and like if you want, you can go read the books, and it's just a lot mm-hmm. more expansive and a lot more detailed. But I think you can still watch the movies, and for the most part, they feel largely scaled like the things that should be there should that are there you know it it largely compared to other adaptations it doesn't feel like he loses as much as like some other writers do when they get their books turned into adaptations so well it's weird too because i i feel like barker comes from like this hp lovecraft school yeah. Uh, uh, of, yeah. of of storytelling but he is just like he has a spiral into despair but he still has an ability to find a path of light for his main characters he did it in hellraiser he yeah. did it in nightbreed like even as dark as like like she dies like like she essentially kills herself but then he brings her back and everything's still sunshine and roses. You know what I mean? Like there's still, but there's still monsters like at, at the heart of it. Like he is now fully embraced his monster uh, body mm-hmm. and, and she's got to find hers now. And it's like, but they're still happy. They're still there. It's like that ray of sunshine that, that Lovecraft never have had and never will have to his, you know, to his adaptation, the adaptations of his work. I've always kind of read the the stories in the same aesthetic way too. Like when I'm imagining the stories just in my head as I read them, it's always got that same kind of dirty, sad, yeah, like aesthetic to it as an H.P. Lovecraft story kind of has. But yeah, usually things work out in the end where H.P. Lovecraft not always the same. And there, yeah. there's always such a sympathy to the um, to the main. Uh, quote unquote villain. There's a sympathy to Candyman. Candyman was, you know, was was a slave that was punished for having a relationship with a white woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hellraiser. Uh, I mean, Pinhead was just he, he was essentially like the as the second movie will tell. He was just like an explorer, and who just grabbed the wrong thing. You know what I mean? Like, and 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 got basically trapped into into the you know horrible horrible existence. Um which in turn you know cleanses them we'll get into that of course when we talk about cinnabites and stuff um but uh nightbreed doesn't do that because decker is a fucking piece of shit (laughs) and and he preys on his he preys on his own uh people that he believes he's helping and every every person around him is fodder there is not everything is beneath him so he, everything is expendable. So yeah. it's like it's like uh, it's like even Lord of the Illusions. They they try to humanize uh, villains in that one too. So it's like this one is like no, he's through thoroughly a piece of shit. Yeah, I mean you can tell by the end of the movie just based on how many deaths happen and how much he, how many people he actually kills during mm-hmm. this movie. Yeah, his kill count is huge in this movie. Yeah. yeah, he kills a good amount of people. Yeah. Uh, it always feels weird that it's Cronenberg playing him, like yeah, like and I, and and playing it in such a such a a, um, a 3D sort of way, and not yeah. and and not and and not having just like 
he's just like a cardboard cutout because usually when he shows up, Jason X, he's basically a cardboard cutout. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, any any other small role he plays, he is just very just one dimensional. He's there to serve a purpose and he's gone. But Deckard has so much so much depth to him. It's weird. Yeah, for sure. I, I think. Yeah, like I'd be interested to see if they got somebody who was more a career actor rather than Cronenberg. Mm. Like, I I felt a little as if his performance was a little stiff in some areas. Um, I don't know. Just would it, I mean, this is probably yeah compared to his role in Jason X. Uh, this mm. is by and large a whole lot better. But I don't know. I was kind of thinking the whole time, like, man, you could have put somebody else in this, and it would have been really interested to see what you do but i felt a little bit of jeff combs in his performance a little bit yeah 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 okay um taylor what was the first time you watched this movie uh okay i don't i don't actually know if i even knew this movie really existed until i saw it on our list so it's it's kind of interesting that some of clive barker's stuff goes that way for me even though like i read his stuff and i love his writing and i love in general his world uh some of his movies just fly under the radar yeah mm-hmm. totally and like i like a lot of his stuff but yeah i think there's definitely like the top 10 percent of the ones that people know like Candyman and hellraiser mm-hmm. and then there's just a bunch of stuff that's just middle middling there where you know, yeah, hardcore fans will know, but a lot of like the general audience will have no idea. I don't even think I would even go as far as to say I don't think the general audience even knows he probably wrote uh, Candyman. Probably. Yeah. So. Yeah, and this is definitely one where I'm kind of curious if I read the uh, the story and then rewatched the movie if I would get a little more out of it because watching it the first time, uh, not having any backstory or knowing what was going on, it, it mm. got a little hard to follow. Time. So I definitely want to read and then rewatch this at some point and see if that makes a difference. Yeah, because I love his worlds and I love his characters and I yeah I want to do them justice. Yeah, would be uh, I don't know if they have like a Clive Barker collection of movies. If not, that'd be a great idea. Did you guys know that they made a video game based on this movie? On this really? one? Yeah. Was it is it Jericho? No, Nightbreed, the uh, action game released in 1990 uh, by Impact Software Development uh, for Amiga. And uh, yeah, it uh, I've never played it, but I'm looking at the at screenshots of it and it looks wild. <laughs> the PC game or? Yeah, it looks like it. Yeah. Mm. So oh my goodness, the yeah, only I'm, game I'm... I know is Jericho. Yeah. Five Parker's no. Jericho. Yeah, there's uh, Nightbreed, the action game. I, I don't know how well it did, but uh, <laughs> it literally has across the bottom of, of the game. It just says Nightbreed. So yeah, yeah. I, 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 this feels like it looks like you're just like a side scroller, like just going through a forest or something. And there's a couple <laughs> screenshots I see of like a, a, a pixel art like nightbreed character like murdering someone else it looks so interesting i'm intrigued i hope it's like the friday the 13th nintendo game you know what it, it reminds me of that sega game where people transform into animals um, oh altered beast yeah it's very altered beast nice yeah anyways little little fun trivia nightbreed also a video <laughs> game i you know what i'd be probably if i if i was if I knew of this game as a kid, I probably would be more interested in the game than I was the movie, if I'm being completely honest. 
the game mm-hmm. looks pretty cool. Um, anyways, uh, got a couple emails here. John says, I love the Decker butt face character. I'm glad you did, mm-hmm. John. I was eh, on that. Yeah, well, I just feel like he could have been his own thing for this movie. And yeah, take totally. all the other Nightbreed stuff and work on fleshing him out as like the, the big bad. And I feel like he could have been so cool. Yeah, well, because the movie's about Aaron finding his destiny and also mm-hmm. Decker trying to find a Patsy. And they're completely different storylines. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, but I really do love the scene where Decker comes up to, to Boone, where Boone's kind of like in the crosshairs of all the cops. And he's like, I didn't do it. And he's like, I know you didn't. He's like, he's got a gun. <laughs> Just the switch there makes me laugh every time. I made it as I was uh, watching this movie, I was taking some notes and I had to stop and write a note there because I was so like angry at him for that. I was like, you are supposed to be his therapist. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if my therapist all of a sudden decided to like start murdering people, I'd probably have questions. I'd be like, but yeah. why? Well, <laughs> but why was the first question is but why in the beginning of the movie too, it's like where his therapist i mean this is before you know the therapist like dr decker is the baddie he yeah. comes out and he's like oh yeah um there are these murders and they match up to something that you've been telling me so yeah you're probably the murderer here's all the murder pictures i'm just going to show them all to you and uh threaten to turn you in unless you do it yourself well, like, like it, yeah a little extreme there's that like scene where he's like sitting at a table just full of knives, and I'm like, that's an excessive amount of knives. <laughs> like, I don't even think Jason or Freddy has that many knives. Like, this dude's got like a whole table of knives. It felt really excessive, but also. Oh, like- that shot though is so great though. I, I wrote that down though as like like this shot is totally unnecessary, but fuck, is it great? Yeah. And it's just atmosphere. Like, yeah. that's all it is. It, it, it's just trying to put a whole table of knives in your brain to be around Decker for the rest of the movie. You know what I mean? Because you're going to think about that shot for the rest of the movie. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't do anything half-assed. You know, he's got to have a good supply of knives. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A knife for each kill. I just want to imagine he's like, every time he, he goes out, he like picks up a knife and he's like, nah, not this one. This one, nah, not this one either. Philip K. Yeah. Decker, the original House of Knives. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what it is. He just has every time he goes out and sees a new knife, he's like, "Ooh, I like this. All right, I'll get it. I'll treat myself." <laughs> and then he gets a new knife. Also, that felt like such a Cronenberg shot too. I don't yeah. know why. When I was watching, I was like, "That's that's Cronenberg feeling right there." I I felt like that a bunch in this movie where I feel like. Um, Cronenberg was like subtly helping Clive Barker because I think they obviously felt some sort of a kinship towards each other. Yeah. Um, because they're like kind of at that point they're they're kind of like in the same neighborhoods of each other as far as their storytelling goes. So I I really feel like Cronenberg was there as like an uncredited like extra eye. Did they ever because, work together again after this? No. No, so weird. but it's like, but it's like, um, I, you know, I, I, I think you can never turn off that director storyteller side of yourself, even if you're just there to be an actor. Yeah. So, I mean, even, uh, I, even with Jason X, I, I think, uh, Todd Farmer has said a few times about how Cronenberg's helped his career and everything. So who knows? 
Yeah. <laughs> Jason X. We've mentioned <laughs> Jason X so many times in this. I love it. I know. This is this is like the anti-Kurt episode here. This is like... When it... we, we, we need to do an episode on Jason X now, I feel like. I was uh. just going to ask, when is the Jason X episode happening? That would be, that would be something. <laughs> <laughs> that movie's a, just, that movie's a lot. That's like that movie is like the equivalent of your like your drunk uncle just showing up and shouting things at Christmas, and you're just like, uh, I don't know what to make of any of those. <laughs> uh, so we'll do the episode, and we'll just make sure we have a drink on hand while we do yeah. it. Yeah, I feel I feel Kurt's full body cringe to the internet right now about doing that episode. <laughs> you know, it's funny because everyone's like, "Oh, you love Friday the Thirteenth. You should talk about Jason goes to hell, Mike." No, I respect myself. Why would I talk about Jason goes to hell? <laughs> no, I respect myself. <laughs> I draw the line that uh, uh, Jason takes Manhattan. After that, uh, we get we get questionable. Anyways, um, uh-huh. Brian says this movie uh, always stood out to me as it blends fantasy and horror so well. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons that I like Clive Barker too, is because yeah. it, it's not just about. The, the horror aspect, he does inject a lot of story and mm-hmm. characters behind it, which yeah. is my jam. You always I, feel like you're in a gothic comic book yeah. with with Clive Barker stuff. You you know you're not in reality. You're in a you're in a heightened world right. where, where where things are a little bit more operatic. I think it would have been interesting to see if the, this world get fleshed out a little bit. It feels like just starting out. And I think that's maybe what holds it back for me. Like, I feel like I just read the first chapter of a book and now what? Like, I'm waiting on chapter two. I want to know more of the story it might breed, but it doesn't really come. And no. uh, that that's, to me, I think what holds it back is I, I do agree that I, I like the blending of fantasy and horror. But I also think that when you blend those two, there's a certain amount of world building that's needed and just as you're start, getting started with this, it just like, that's it. And it's no, it's not, you know, doing part to um, Clive Barker or anything like that. You know, obviously he was interested in continuing this, but yeah, it's just one of those, one of those things where I feel like had this gotten a sequel, had this been turned into like a 10 movie franchise, you probably could have fleshed it out and it would have been more interesting to see where they take it. But yeah, I think the problem is, is like, as as a single movie, it doesn't quite go to the places it needs to go. So, yeah. I don't quite fully agree that it's probably like the greatest amalgam of fantasy and horror, but I do give it an A for effort at least because, I mean, no other movies have really done too much like this. Like, there's no. fantasy and horror, but like not to this degree. Like, this is basically a slasher movie meets um, that movie where David Bowie kidnaps a kid. Labyrinth? Yeah, this is basically like a slasher movie beats Labyrinth, basically. Uh, who's Jareth in this one? <laughs> you know, I, uh, wh- I wonder, want to know if Cronenberg or um, Clive Barker was like, guys, this is a slasher movie meets Labyrinth. And they're like, sold. They're like, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll do it. And they're like, and Doug Bradley, he's going to be the Jareth of this movie. And we're going to name him Lylesburg. His, his name's going to be Dirk Lylesburg. That's, that's, that's a name. That's quite the name. It exudes fantasy when your name's Dirk Lylesburg. Yeah. Very fantastical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You must be zooming through the stars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Uh, 
just get on some words here. Favorite line from this movie? Oh my god, Narcissia has so many of my favorite lines in this movie. Uh, I mean, Decker has some good ones too, but I mean, it's Shangri-La and dope. We love it. Like, there's just so many. Like, I've got a face under this face. Like, there's just so many different great lines that he has. Um, honestly, he's like my favorite character in this movie. I think. Um, yeah. Because uh, he's he's so much exposition. He's also brash and and and, and quippy and and will fuck around with like he'll fuck people up. Like I I, I really dig that about him. Mm. Um, and he survives the original cut of yeah. the movie and then which makes when 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 i first saw the 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 director's cut and they have that scene where decker walks in and it looks like he has him in a headlock kind of and then it's like no he throws the head and you're like no <laughs> <laughs> like i even had that reaction last night watching i was like no i like i forgot about that part and i yeah. was like he's like what i want to continue on in the series and yeah I, I, feel, I feel he's the leader yeah yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, he definitely commands a lot of screen presence. So, mm-hmm. uh, gosh, I would say um, there's the captain, Eagerman, I think his name is. Uh, he's like, you're a freak and a cannibal and, you're co- and you've come to the wrong town. I had a good laugh at that one. <laughs> the one that I wrote down was uh, two of the nightbreeds, I think, are just getting ready to go fight people. Uh, or fight the the. Are they military men? Is that what they're supposed to be? I still can't quite remember exactly who they are. But they're getting ready to fight them, and one of them goes, "What chance do we have? They're armed." And the other guy goes, "So am I." And then he's got these like tentacles that grow from his stomach and just come out. And I think he does the uh, "Come to Daddy" line. He says like, "Come to Daddy," and then these tentacles that grow up. It's so was, ridiculous. I thought it was, there's another scene too, not really a line, but really early on when Boone's getting initiated and uh, one of the, I can't remember the guy's name, but the the character like lights his match on the wall and they all stop and turn to him at the exact same moment as like a little beat, a little funny beat. Oh, that was so funny too. Yeah. All right. Um, Best performance in this movie. Oh, gosh. Uh, I almost want to say I I kind of agree with Steve that Dr. Decker is probably my favorite character so I want to say Cronenberg but I mm-hmm. I honestly don't know for this one. I going to say Cronenberg and Hugh Ross who plays Narcissi. Um yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just they're they're the most memorable. Uh I mean cuz cuz Craig Sheffer's a blank slate essentially for a large part of this movie because he's um, he's not living his proper life until he gets like halfway into until he basically is resurrected, and even then he's still kind of feeling everything out. Yeah. So he he's not well rounded enough, and same with uh, with Annie Bobby. Like she's uh, Laurie's figuring out what her relationship is with this dude. So mm-hmm. there's just there's a lot of feeling out, and the only ones that are very comfortable in their own skins is Decker and uh, Hugh Ross's character. Yeah. yeah it. it seems like the the protagonist stuff kind of just happens to them for a bit mm-hmm. they don't really like have mm-hmm. a, a too much of a will of their own for the most part unless they're going to the cemetery that's like the only one action they take for themselves is okay i'm gonna go check out this place and then more stuff happens to them you know yeah for sure and i yeah 
I also agree that I think uh, Nar- the actor who plays Narcissi is probably my favorite. Like, I don't know. Decker, Decker felt, like, interesting to me. Because, yeah, I felt like it was decent by Cronenberg, but, like, just missing a little bit. But, yeah, the actor who played Narcissi, I, I forget his name, but, uh, yeah, he's he was pretty fantastic. He was the most charismatic in, like, the entire movie, I think, so... Or at least, you know, up there for sure. So, mm-hmm. And then, of course, he had to get decapitated. So, As you do. Yeah. Can't let him survive this movie. He's too nope. entertaining. <laughs> um, all right. Um, best kill? Does anyone have a favorite kill? Oh, man. How do you even choose? I have two. My my. F- one of my favorites is when Boone just gets gunned down in the beginning by police officers. Like, <laughs> they shoot him so many times. Like, legitimately, that's <laughs> literally overkill. Literally overkill. You don't they shot him that. like he was black. Jeez. <laughs> I'm sorry, but um, like he was black and with Skittles. And then they just like let him lie there bleeding out for anyways. Um, and then <laughs> at the at the end, or closer to the end, um, when the hand goes through the stomach of someone, there's so many characters I can't even fully remember what characters it was that did it. But that it was a little clean, though, don't you think? When it that came was, through, it was yeah, a little... there could have been a little more. Was it like an acid or something too? I don't know. Like, That's why I was wondering because I was like, it was like really like, it was like maybe a tiny bit slimy, a little like a little pinkish, but not really like gory um, I think it was the, the mom of the, the I don't even remember I don't even know the what. smoke girl yeah, I think so and she was like getting oh yeah because it was coming up on the scene of um, Lori's holding the child and mm-hmm. uh, kill the child and then the mom comes up and punches her hand through him and it, yeah so maybe more so about the, the actual what happened in the scene than the kill itself but I liked it yeah, which is a huge. It's one of those the the mother mother and child one is another one of those grandiose plot lines that doesn't really have any sort of cork to it. Like it's just it's just, just like a of, thing, you know what I mean? Chocolate. <laughs> yeah, I think that was the character's name, the one with the kid, right? Yeah, yeah. Who like it's so funny too when she does when she when they basically send her in to 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 kill that uh, the the police officer, the deputy, and then like she's basically naked and then uh, Laurie hands her the the um, the shawl and then again um, Hugh Ross just kind of like leers at her like yeah <laughs> you're like what was up with that shot like he hasn't seen yeah. her naked do that before like he's just like I always look forward to this or something I don't know. It was a weird, weird. <laughs> I had so many questions. Um, <laughs> yeah. Also, like, kudos to all the naming conventions of this movie because, like, somebody must have been, just been smoking a bunch of weed and just writing names. Oh, for sure. Paper, like, Your name is Chocolat. And, uh, uh. you know, like, uh, okay, sure. Hello, Quinn. Yeah. Hello, Quinn. <laughs> Which is, they're like, that's going to be. Uh, we could riff off that for an ex- exercise bike later, can't we? Yeah, we probably could do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, favorite kill? Gosh, I went with the 
guy that had the flamethrower and then he caught on fire and then he just decided to fall <laughs> to the ground and blow up. That was so stupid. Why, why does everyone have that fate when they have a flamethrower? <laughs> like... You would think if you have a flamethrower, you would have some kind of like flame retardant suit or something yeah. like that. Instead, no. The guy's just like, I'm dead now. Bye. Boom. Done. I had a good left. Like... <laughs> I had a terrible run. Yeah. Even my girlfriend, like, I was like, what was your favorite kill? And she's like, definitely the flamethrower guy who just decided to, like, just end his own life after finding out he was on fire. I'm like, yeah, that was pretty dumb. I kinda, Should I, I like light my guy. legs on fire with this? Is that cool? <laughs> he gave up you so guys, easily. You guys with me, right? I don't need to be here anymore? Cool. I'm done. <laughs> like, wasn't there, like, a body of water nearby you could ran into or something? Nope. I, no, I guess not. <laughs> but uh, that, to me, reminded me of uh in titanic when the one dude falls off and hits the propeller of the titanic on his way out kind of reminded me of that just like mm -hmm. a nobody just dying but one that you're instantly like okay that was pretty funny um all right dumbest decision um i'm gonna just say having your psychiatrist be a serial killer you could have definitely uh fed to that a little better yeah, he seems to play a little bit on the nose. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, he is a little uh, definitely creepy. Uh, that You don't know that he has a room of knives near him. That's kind of fucked up. Don't you? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I would tell everybody. Also, he takes that medication real quick after he leaves the office. Like, he takes one in the office, and I think the next scene is him taking another one, and then they all mm -hmm. fall on the ground. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't he, know if it's boons like if he's just naive but it definitely yeah. kind of struck me as like laughable how he's just like yeah this is my psychiatrist he's a great guy nope no. like he even believes in him up until the point of being in the in in the you know right in front of the gates of midian mm -hmm. like he's still believing in in his psychiatrist and it's just like huh come on man yeah it was a little questionable yeah it was a little questionable for uh, Lori to stab herself in the stomach, too. That would have ended, like, so bad. She could have just been dead. She had so much trust that he was just going to be able to bring her back. And it obviously worked out, but, yeah. geez, Louise. Well, it's that's the question of faith or stupidity. Yeah. I guess so. All right. Uh, I think it's time to rate this movie. What do you think in score-wise? I'm gonna go with the seven. I still, I still have some love for this movie. Uh, I love the art direction of this film. I love the special effects of it. There's still a lot that keep it going, and it is largely an entertaining watch. Uh, I mean, it clocks in at like two hours, but it still, it doesn't feel like it's like, oh, okay, come on, guys. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's en thoroughly entertaining from beginning to end, and. Um, it's crazy to know that Clive Barker is kind of like self-taught uh, as far as a filmmaker goes. It's sad that it was all taken away from him and you didn't get to fully realize what the actual movie is supposed to be until 25 years later. But um, mm. I, I, I think it, he's such an interesting filmmaker from coming from just a strict author and unlike Stephen King not using cocaine to fuel his first feature. Um, yeah, he's, it's like I, I, I still give it its props. Yeah. Man, I don't. 
tough. I feel like I still don't fully know what I feel about this movie because I kind of keep flip-flopping between like a six and a seven. I mm. think I need to... I'm, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to stick it with a seven for now because I, I do really like what it's trying to do. I think there are some areas where, yeah, it does get a little messy with its kind of what's going on sometimes because it jumps around between plots and stories, but... Um, I think I need to give it a, 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 a rewatch and I reserve the right to change my mind on a seven. If I, <laughs> if I, I might like it more, I might like it less, but this one, I, I, it's hard for me to figure out how I feel about it. Cause there's a lot going on with it. Mm. Uh, I'm going to go with the six. I, here's the thing I will say, I, I, this is much better than the theatrical version by a long mm-hmm. shot. But I think it's still not what it needs to be. And it's unfortunate because I think had we lived in the world we live in now where, you know, fans are very quick to, like, give uh, studio feedback, we could have gotten a quick turnaround on, like, a Nightbreed director's cut, one that has maybe some reshoots and other stuff. But, like, that time is long gone now. And, like, you know... reading up on interviews and stuff i think clive even realized this is this and like it this is the best version of the movie you're going to get but i still i think it's more interesting for what it represents more so than what it actually is and what it actually is is a bit of a bloated movie and one that's got a lot of ideas but just not enough room to really explore them all and again you know, sequel would have done great for that had we been able to explore more of Nightbreed and maybe like some animosity towards that. There could have been some cool ideas that they explored here, but yeah, I, I think that window's long gone at this point. I think there was talk of doing like a Nightbreed TV show at one point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but I don't think that's gone anywhere. I don't think so. No. Like a good format for a story like this where there is like you could do so much with all the different characters here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, Steve, where can people find you on the vast internets? Yeah, uh, you can find me at the Steve Dead on Twitter and Instagram. I think I'm on there on Letterboxd as well. Uh, and my website is stevestebbing.ca. And I'm on uh, The Shift uh, Canada on the Chorus Network, the one and only Shift. I was going to say, there Steve, is a fucking isn't, the fake. Sh- isn't The Shift a sports thing? They don't talk about boobies on there. What are you talking about? I don't know who the fuck Kayla Gray is. I'm just going to say that right now. I don't know who that is. I don't know why she's trying to hijack it. Because she exactly produces that show, too. So I don't know why the hell that they can't vet to see if there's other, I don't know, nationally syndicated shows that have the same name. But whatever. Well, if she um, starts a, a show called Tremble, we're coming for her. Yeah, we're coming for you. We're coming for your neck. We're coming for your neck. Chop the neck. Um, I automatically feel bad about my one comment earlier, so maybe we should cut that one. But um, yeah, that's that's where you can find me. Yeah, cool. Taylor, where can people find you on the internet? Um, mostly on social media or my blog. My username is Cersianic. My blog is cersianic.home.blog. Um, that's about it. Otherwise, I'm just at home. Nice. Uh, I'm over at threegreeners.com where we got a bunch of stuff. We're doing a movie commentary next weekend for, uh, gosh, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's the Kurt Russell movie directed by Carpenter, and he's a truck driver. Big Trouble in Little China, that's it. We're doing a commentary for that. I'm excited for that. 
So look forward to that. That actually might be up depending on when you listen to this. Might be up. So go check that out. And then, uh, yeah, I'm over at Twitter, Film Critic Kurt. I'm on Letterboxd, Fatal Koala. I still would love to be able to change that to Film Critic Kurt for some synergy, but apparently Letterboxd doesn't let, like you changing names, apparently. So got to deal with it. Until uh, next time where we talk about Hellraiser. Bye for now.